Again, we want to welcome you here this morning. And this morning, uh, you're coming in on Sunday number two on our summer mini-series called Aware. And if this is your first Sunday here, you're visiting with us, or if you were away last Sunday, you can pick up uh, on our website last Sunday sermon where we took a look at what we need to be aware of Satan's schemes in our life. We took a look at some of the major Bible verses where the Bible talks about Satan, where he came from, what his goals are, what he is up to. And so today in uh, sermon number two, we're taking a look at one of his big tactics that he uses in our lives and he, one of the things he uses primarily is the power of suggestion. Whispering in the back of our minds little things that he wants to introduce to us. And this is not a new tactic because it started in Genesis chapter 3. Some of you are familiar with the story of Adam and Eve. And we take a look at Adam and Eve as real people who went through real temptations, and who are our forefathers. And in Genesis chapter 3, it says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say? that?" You know, he still whispers these words. Did God really say that? Did God really say that that was wrong? Did God, does God really want you to have to suffer like this? Are you sure? He still does that in our lives. So he says, did God really say you must not eat from any of the trees? And Eve, being you know, a person for detail, goes back and corrects him and says, well, we may eat the fruit of any of the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit from that tree that's in the middle of the garden, uh, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die. The serpent replies to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. Now notice, in Eve's temptation, Satan doesn't have to lie all that much. Did God really say? Yeah, he did say it. Planting little seeds of doubt. Does God really say what he wants? And when Eve says, well, if we eat it or even touch it, we will die. We will drop dead. And Satan, of course, says, no, you're not going to drop dead. Come on. Of course, he didn't say that the process of death begins then. He didn't say that all that would be destroyed and all that was ruined. But, I mean, he still told the truth. You're not going to die right now. And when Satan says, if you eat it, you will be like God in this way that you're now going to know good and evil. Not only that, you're going to experience good and evil. 
And he didn't have to lie because the moment Adam and Eve took of the fruit, disobeyed God, figured that they knew better than God knew, they knew everything about what evil was like. And they started to experience it in their life. I wonder what kind of wrestling went on in Eve's mind. Well, God said, I shouldn't. But Satan says, I should. Does God really know what he's talking about? Maybe God overlooked something. Maybe, well, maybe God is holding out on me. Hmm. Maybe God doesn't really want me to be happy. And this internal wrestling, I'm sure, must have started. And, and we all know what that internal wrestling's about, don't we? You know what it's about. Every time you're tempted to do something which is self-centered, self-serving, something that hurts other people, something that's wrong or even evil, you have this internal battle that goes on. I should, I shouldn't. Oh, yeah, oh, uh. What should I do? You know, the book of Galatians talks about this very struggle. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 says this. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. And when you give your heart to Jesus, all of a sudden you invite this conflict into your heart. Because at one time, there was just the flesh, just you, just your desires, and whatever you wanted and you had to sort out on your own. But when you invite Christ into your life, now there's a new force. And it isn't just that sin hates what's good the other side of it is also true good hates what is wrong so the flesh hates what the spirit is about and the spirit hates what the flesh is about and you have this conflict going on inside of you 24 7 that's the good news <laughs> don't you ever wish that the fight would just go away why isn't following Jesus easier? Why does it always have to be a battle? And it's because there's this inner conflict that takes place inside of us. The flesh and the spirit. And they cannot get along. And they will not get along. It's like having a couple uh, elementary school kids in the backseat of your car in a long drive. Right? He touched me. No, he touched me. He's on my side. He's breathing my air. Mom, make him stop. And there's this continual battle going on in the back seat. And that's exactly what goes on in here every single day. This conflict, and it does not stop, and it will not stop, and it cannot stop. Unless you completely capitulate. And allow what's wrong to just, whatever. You could give up the fight and say, I'll just do whatever feels right. 
and I'm not going to stress over it. And who cares who I hurt? Or who cares what, what price needs to be paid? That's the only way it can stop. But the very fact that there are two natures, and we say two natures, you could say there's those two sides within us. Uh, the cartoons uh, paint it this way. There's this little angel on this shoulder and this, this little devil on this shoulder and they're speaking in your ears. I've never seen those personally, but it would be easier to deal with if I actually could see them. But they are at work. And here's the interesting thing about this battle. With this power of suggestion, we call it temptation. Is that we have this unusual ability, this amazing ability to justify just about any type of behavior. It's true. You ever just kind of taken something that you shouldn't have taken? Uh, well, after all I've done, it's owed to me. Nobody will notice. Nobody will even see it. Who cares? It's such a little thing, but it'll help me out. I'll take it. That's just on a little scale. And the thing is, in every action, we can justify what we do. We have a reason why the wrong that I'm doing is actually okay. Maybe they don't, nobody will see it. Nobody will notice. It's owed to me. Maybe God presented this opportunity to me. Oh, if God didn't want me to do this, why do I have this opportunity? God's in control of everything. It must be okay. And we can justify everything that we do. You can justify everything from stealing a pencil to mass murder. You can justify it all. There's a quote around... In fact, it's been quoted so many times, nobody knows who actually came up with the quote. It says this, you are never the villain of your own story. You're never the bad person. When you think of your day and all that happened, you're not the villain. It's other people. It's other situations. They forced me to do it. If they hadn't have said that, I wouldn't have done that. If they weren't being such a dummy, and, and you know, we can blame, and we can shift, and we can justify. And that's that amazing power that the flesh has within us that we can justify almost anything. Of course, later we might have regret. Later we might have wished we hadn't have done this. You know, David faced this same situation. You're not alone in it. See, David was the up-and-coming king. And God had promised David, and people knew it, that David is going to be the next king of over Israel. The only problem is, there was already a king, King Saul. And as Saul knew about this, he wanted to get rid of David. Yeah. Here comes the, the, uh, someone who wants the throne. I'm not sure how safe I'm going to be. I might as well get rid of him before he gets rid of me. Of course, the next king for the throne should have been Jonathan. But Jonathan's response was so much different than his father's. Jonathan says, I will be your number two. 
God is going to make you king, and I'll be there to support you. But I'm sure Saul must have gone about and justified his own actions. I'm doing this for my son Jonathan. He can't do it himself. I'm going to look after him. I'm going to look after Israel. I'm going to look after the throne. I will take care of this David guy. So on two occasions, David had the opportunity to strike Saul down. One of these situations, they're in a cave. In another situation, Saul is asleep with his army. And David and one of his men walk right up to Saul. There's the king Saul right there. He's got his spear right beside his head, you know, waiting to be used. And, and everyone is asleep. And one of David's closest friends and loyal per- people who are with him says this, God has made this happen. God has brought this situation. David, take the spear, pin him to the ground. You won't have to do it twice. He'll die right away. This is God's doing. And David needed to respond. He says, don't touch him. Because none of us could ever be guiltless. No one could be held innocent if we strike down one of God's chosen people. And so he refused to do it. But you know, you can justify just about any type of behavior. And you know exactly what I mean. Because every single one of us are experts at justifying our own behavior, aren't we? And that becomes that temptation. Now this morning, just so that this is not a theoretical discussion of temptation, I'd I'd like for you to do something for me. I'd like for you to take a moment, think about one of those temptations that you've been wrestling with recently. Go ahead, think about it. Maybe you're struggling with some lies like, I'm unlovable, I'll never succeed, I'm not enough, or I'm too much, I'm of something. Maybe you struggle with pride or greed or envy or sexual sin or desire for power. Maybe it's gossip or rage or selfishness. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's laziness or worry or doubt, fear or despair. Where's your temptation this morning? Think about it. Have you got one? I got mine locked up here because I've been thinking about it for a while. Okay, you've got one? Now, don't shout it out, okay? We know you want to, but... Take a moment and whisper it to the Lord. Lord, this is where I'm tempted. Just tell the Lord, okay? They say admitting is the first step to victory, and it's true. Because as you take a moment to, and we use the word confess. No, we don't just confess our sins. We confess and bring to light all those things that we're wrestling with. When you confess this to the Lord, it brings it into the light, and you can invite God into this battle. Now, 
we're going to take a look at a few verses in the Bible that tell us something about temptation. We're first going to look at the book of James, all right? And if you have your Bibles or your, your, uh, uh, your, your phone or your instrument there, take a look at the book of James, chapter 1. And this is what it says. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial or temptation, some of your Bibles would say. And that's the first thing about temptation. It requires perseverance. Some of your Bibles will say, endure temptation. Oh, you have to endure it. And it speaks of not just a one-time thing, but an ongoing situation. And temptation is something that you need to persevere under. It takes time. And just when you feel like you've wrestled it to the ground, it pops up somewhere else. And just when you think, oh, I've learned that lesson for good now, I'll never do that again, then you find yourself in that exact same situation. It's because it requires the perseverance. So, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, the person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Because there is benefit in persevering. There is benefit in getting through it. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. No, it's not coming from God. You know, we have that power to justify. God is putting it into my hands. God must be okay with it. God knows this is coming. But it's important to see temptation for what it is. It's not God's provision. God is not saying it's okay this time. But what it is, is I'm being tested. Temptation, those subtle suggestions to doubt God or to make choices that betray all my values, that does not come from God. And it doesn't come from God because God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone with evil. Let's go on to the next verse. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. Now, we know that temptation comes from three basic places. Now, there's no one Bible verse that puts this all together. But if you take a look in the Bible, you'll see it come up in three different ways. Temptation comes first from the world. And by the world, we mean the outside influences. That could be society or culture. It could be peer pressure, your friends. It could be the media. Things that come into you, ideas, concepts that come into you. And you think everybody does it. This is just the way it is here. And if I want to, to feel like I belong, I should do that also. So that's the influences of the world. There's the influences of the flesh. And the Bible uses the term flesh in a number of different ways. Sometimes it talks about our flesh as well. It's our body. Sometimes it talks about our sinful nature as the flesh. And sometimes it talks about us, that inner thing which is us, one of our cores as the flesh. So temptation can come from the inside. 
It can come from our own desires for pleasure, for safety, for comfort. It can come from our desire for significance or success. And those things can cause us to make choices that are really a betrayal of who we are. When our temptations come from our flesh, it can also come from real physical things that we experience. There's this old saying that when you are tempted, halt. And that halt is, stands for three, uh, four things. That when you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, when you're tired, halt. Stop. Because you're going to be tempted. It's kind of like that old saying, don't go shopping for groceries when you're hungry. Right? You know what it's like. You start throwing in all those things and later in the day you go, why did I buy that? Well, the thing is, you know that when you are physically exhausted, when you are under stress, when things are going on, you are tempted in many different ways to do things, to say things, to react in certain ways. You are so much more susceptible. So temptation comes from the world, comes from our flesh, and it also comes from the devil. And he often places us in situations or creates situations where we could doubt God. Same as the story of Job. Where the devil put together a situation where Job ended up losing everything. And then his spouse and then his friends were all saying, yeah, somehow God must be mad at you. You must not be who you think you are or who you betray yourself to be. There must be something wrong with you. You see, sometimes the devil puts together situations. So he's maybe not involved with all of our temptations, but although you could say in a general sense, in a general sense, all of our temptations come from the devil. But regardless of where your temptation is coming from, whether it's the world, the flesh, the devil, the truth is this, that you are being dragged away by your own evil desire. Because it connects with something that's within me, and I have to own it. It's my issue. I can't blame it on the devil. I can't blame it on my spouse or my irritating children who are acting up again. Or I can't blame it on the traffic or my boss or the government or that person who leads the government. I can't blame it on everyone because it is my issue. And I am being dragged away by my own desires and enticed. And then it goes on to the next verse here. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to, to sin. And sin, when it is full-blown, full gives birth to death. N notice an interesting picture here. It uses a life cycle picture. Right? Conception, birth, full-grown and on. You see, when I am tempted to sin, and when I am dragged away by my own desires, and when it touches something within me, and I react and I give in to that temptation, it starts a cycle in my life. It's not just this one situation. It starts something that who knows how long that'll go. 
blessedly, some temptations are short and I deal with it and, oh, I confess it and it's over and I move on. But sometimes they go on and on and on and they have repercussions that go on for a long time. And that's the way sin and temptation are. Now, this morning, I want to give you three encouragements from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. This is what it says. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. I want you to know that you are going through what every single one of us are going through when you face temptation. You are tempted just like everyone else. I want you to take a moment, turn to the person next to you and say, I'm tempted just like you are. We're all in the same boat. We all face temptations. It's there for all of us. And, and the thing is, not only is it there, but we need to expect that it's going to be there. It's going to be there. When you wake up tomorrow morning, it's going to be there. You know when you get in your vehicle and get into traffic, you're going to be tempted to say something about the person in front of you. You know it's coming. When someone comes to you and says, oh, I forgot to tell you, this is happening in five minutes, you're going to be tempted to think that there's something wrong with that person, that maybe they did it on purpose. You're going to be tempted to say things, do things, react in certain ways. It's common. So prepare for it. Prepare yourself. And when you get up in the morning and say, Lord, I'm going to face temptations today, but I want to trust you and I want to keep a clear head. So Father, walk with me today. And so this is the encouragement. Every single one of us is tempted in the same way. So, that's the first encouragement. Number two, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And you think, well, God definitely has a lot more faith in me than I have. Because sometimes things stack up, don't they? I, I mean, something goes wrong and then later in the day another thing and then another thing and things pile up and then there's problems at home and with your, with your extended family and then there's financial. Things pile up and you think, if it was just one or two of those things, I could handle it. But as time goes on, as it piles up, it brings you to a breaking point. So what does this verse mean when it says, that God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. See, one of the things we learn from the story of Job is that temptations are not unlimited. Satan needs permission to tempt you somewhat. But God always puts a limit as to how far he's allowed to go. Now, I don't know if, about you, but when I think about this, I go, wait a minute. If God can limit temptation, why doesn't he just stop it? Right? But God puts a limit where he says, you can go this far and no further. You can tempt this child of mine only this far. It's limited. I know how far this child can endure. 
I know how far this one that I love, how much they can fight you, and I'm going to let you take it only this far, but no further. And why does he do that? Because of this next one. He says, because when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. Because with every temptation that the Lord screens and allows to come your way, he's also providing a way out. There is a way out. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, there is a way out. (laughs) Now sometimes you think there is no way out, right? I'm getting trapped. I'm getting trapped. I'm getting pushed to the breaking point and I have no way out. I have to give in. But you know what? That's a subtle lie because you don't have to. You can endure a little more and you can look for the way out that God is providing. So let's take a a moment and look at what some of those ways out are. And there are usually a number of ways out. The first way out comes from 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 22 and that is to flee. Paul is talking to the young man, Timothy, and he says, in your youth, with all these passions that you wrestle with, flee them. Run from them. Now, he doesn't say that that's the only thing you should do, but it's often that first line of defense. And there are times that we should just avoid certain things, certain places, certain websites, certain people, because I know when I get in that situation, I'm going to be tempted. I know that if we start having an argument late at night or right before supper when we're hungry, I know it's not going to go well. I know that if we're in the vehicle driving somewhere and we start getting into a discussion, sometimes it does not go well. Maybe that's not the right place. I know that if I do a few clicks here and there because of my curiosity, it's going to lead me further, and it's going to lead me further, and it's going to lead me further. And pretty soon I've gone way further than I ever intended to go, and now I have this guilt that I have to deal with. The first line of defense is, should I even be doing this? Is there a way for me to avoid this? Sometimes we use distraction. That helps us, you know, especially with our kids. Rather than having them fight with each other, let's keep them busy, right? And that is a way of dealing with some of our temptations. Well, I'm going to busy myself with something profitable so that I'm not consumed by what's not profitable. So that's one of the ways out that God provides us. The second one is that to pursue a deeper passion. See, in this portion of Scripture from 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says, avoid or flee these things, but, he uses the same picture, but pursue something different. Truth, righteousness, goodness. He's talking about run away from certain things, but run towards other things. See, the truth of the matter is, is that A strong, 
determined will is not enough to keep you from giving in to temptation. Because sooner or later, you're going to slip up. Sooner or later, you don't have the energy to maintain that. So what we need to do is to develop something, a passion for something that keeps us on track. By developing our passion for God and for good things, it helps us keep aligned. By keeping our eyes on Jesus and getting to love him more is much more valuable than a powerful will. You know, when Joseph was tempted, in the story of Joseph, a young man who is sold by his brothers, you think you had a bad family, he was sold into slavery. He became a slave in this house run by an official called Potiphar. He was in charge of everything, Joseph, because he was faithful in what he did. And Potiphar held nothing back from Joseph except his wife. Joseph had control of everything, but Potiphar's wife had an eye for Joseph and expressed it to him, but he made sure he fled he made sure he wasn't in the house with her. He made sure he wasn't around her without other people. He built in those cautions. But one day she trapped him in a corner of the house. And as he explains to her why he's not going to go to bed with her, he says, it would be a sin against God. See, his first, his first inclination was, would it be a sin against himself? Yes, the Bible tells us that sexual sin is a sin against our own bodies. Would it be a sin against Potiphar? Yes, it would be a sin against Potiphar. Potiphar said, don't you touch my wife. And if he did it, he would be sinning against Potiphar. But his biggest concern was God. Because he, had develop, he was developing such a close relationship with God. That was his main concern. What would God think? If I did this, I would be breaking God's heart. I would be hurting him. I would be disappointing him. I would be undoing some of the things that God is trying to do in my life. No, I don't want to do it. See, it's this first passion that helped Joseph during this time of temptation. Because he saw it very clearly. This is about me and God. It's not just about the situation. It's bigger than that. It's between God and me. So flee the sin. Pursue a relationship with God. And you know, there are some times that you and I, and I'll speak personally, there's some times that my relationship with God is kind of uh, ho-hum. You know, I, I like God, I love God, but there's not much excitement and passion there. And those are the times that I become even more and more susceptible to temptation. And sometimes we need to step out of the box and say, I need to do something that will get me off of this apathetic place and either I will choose to follow God or not. And there's times that it... I decide, okay, now I need to start getting involved with people's lives. People who are less fortunate with, than, than I am. People who have less. People who are struggling with addictions. Who see sin in their lives, destroying their lives. I need to start helping those people and working with them and wrestling with the same things that they are. 
because then it begins to bring alive something within me. That nature that God provided in there. And it starts bringing my heart alive. And I realize that that this is not just a religion that I follow. This isn't just a code of ethics. This isn't just something I do on Sundays. This is something that God has placed within my heart. And this is what I believe in. And this is what I will dedicate my life to. And we, as we pursue a deeper passion, it helps us deal with temptation. Third thing about being aware of our ways out is to use Scripture as Jesus did. You know, when Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, each time he responds with God's word. Even Eve, when she was tempted, she first responded with, well, this is what God said, and it's wrong. So when I'm tempted, if I have a Bible verse that I've memorized, or if I quote a Bible verse or refer to something, will that push away the temptation? Will it stop the temptation? Probably not. In fact, we know with Jesus, he went through it through at least three rounds of temptation. Even though he used God's word, Satan came back at him in another way. It does not necessarily stop the temptation. But what it does is it refocuses our heart. No, this is what God said. And it's not a subtle just slide in to do something wrong. It's a choice. And I'm going to choose what's right. And I want to choose God's way. And so you maybe need to find verses of Scripture that help you with your particular your particular temptation. You know the one that you were thinking about just a few minutes ago? Maybe it's one of the verses that we've talked about this morning. Or maybe you need to do just a little Google search and find a passage of Scripture that speaks to your temptation that can help strengthen you. And you can write it out and post it somewhere where you'll see it. Or better yet, memorize it so that when you're in that time, you can speak it to yourself. And that's so powerful. By using scripture to help keep ourselves aligned is tremendously powerful. And the fourth avenue that you need to be aware of to deal with temptation is to confess it. Now James chapter 5 verse 16 says, confess your sins one to another. And that just doesn't mean after you've sinned. You know, you wait till you've actually done something wrong, and then you confess it, though that is valuable too. But to be able to bring to light where you are being tempted. See, the things that have the most power in our lives are the secret things. The things that hide in the dark corners. Those doubts. Those little inklings of things. The things that you don't put words to. Those are the things that have power in our lives. But by putting our finger in it, on it, and by speaking about it, and confessing it, and admitting it to someone that we trust, saying, this is where I am struggling. I'm struggling with doubt. I'm not sure if I obeyed God in this, 
I'm not sure if God would look after me. I'm doubting God. I'm wondering if he really cares as much as he says he cares. See, by talking about it and bringing it into the light, you start realizing that it's not really about the decision. It's about, do I trust God? Do I trust that God cares for me? And by bringing it to light, being vulnerable with someone that we trust, by being transparent about it, it enables us to deal with temptation on a whole different level. You know, these are ongoing battles. There's some times that I've, that I've just wished, Lord, I don't want to be tempted today because I know I'm, I'm so weak, I'm going to fail in whatever I'm tempted to do. I just long for a day, Lord, where I won't be tempted anymore and that I can serve you with a whole free heart and it'll be fun. And there will be a day like that. But in this life, on this go-round, it's temptation that we have to wrestle with regularly. And when I think of that, I think of what Paul shares in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul talks about his seasons of temptations. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in verse 7, Paul is talking about how he's been blessed with a gift and in a ministry and have been able to see amazing things and understand amazing things. And because of that, he says this, In order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given, and he calls it, a thorn in the flesh or a messenger of Satan. That's his temptation. He doesn't tell us what the thorn in the flesh is. I mean, we guess. Some of us think it's got to be a sickness, a recurring sickness, or maybe it's a problem with his eyes, or, 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 you know, who knows what it is. But he gives it these little nicknames, my thorn in my flesh, and it's a messenger of Satan, and this is what it does for him. He says, to torment me. He's tormented on a regular basis but by whatever trial or temptation that this is. And he says three times, and I take it that that means on three separate occasions. On three separate occasions, I pled with the Lord to take it away from me. Have you ever done that? Lord, take away these temptations. Take away this situation. Can you imagine how Paul would have explained that? I would be a much better apostle. I could serve you so much better. I could be so much more faithful if I didn't have this going on in my life. If you take this away, Lord, I could, you know, I'll, I'll travel more, I'll give more, I'll do more. Just take this away. You know, you make bargains with God. I wonder if he did that. Or I wonder if he thought this way. Here I am writing letters that will one day become scripture. I could write more. I could write better. I could, I could think more clearly if my mind wasn't consumed with all this other stuff. But God's response is this. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. 
see, what God was interested in is that Paul would be experiencing, not just doing things, but be experiencing God's power and God's grace on deeper levels. And that's the thing, is that temptation is always an opportunity to experience God's grace and his strength on a deeper level. It's that chance where you get to experience some victory. I had a temptation. I said no. Woohoo! Sure, it was just a little thing, but that's okay. I said no. I was tempted to really let go on this person, and I held myself back, and I only said a little bit of what I was going to say, and I feel great about that. Thank you, Lord. I was tempted to hit that person. Of course, I would have gone to jail, but it might have been worth it. But I didn't. Woohoo! It gives us that opportunity to celebrate over little things that, you know what? I was tempted to do what was wrong. I didn't do it, and that's good. Or you might say, you know, yesterday, I was tempted like about 20 times, and I failed every single one of them. Today I was tempted 20 times and I only failed three or four of them or five or six or seven. I only failed some of them. That's progress. Yay! See, it gives us an opportunity to experience God being there for us. And see, much more important than whether you succeed or you fail in your temptations Much more important than that is how you are learning about God. How you're experiencing him. Are you getting to know him more? Is your faith and your love in him growing or is it growing cold? Temptation is always an opportunity to experience God's grace and strength. And this week, as I know, all of you We'll face temptations just like I will. I pray that you will look for that way out. Whatever that way out is. That you will find scriptures that will strengthen you. But most of all, that even in the temptations and in all the ugly stuff, your awareness of God's grace and love for you will increase. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you walk with us even in trial and temptation. And Father, I know that some of our people here in this auditorium face tremendous trial and temptation, tremendous heartache, some that strikes at the very core of them. Father, I pray, remind them of your grace and your love. Remind them of the way out that you are providing for them. Father, give them courage in this journey and may they enjoy seeing even little victories we ask this in jesus name amen